0: Invite you to open up your Bibles to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one, if you're in the Blue Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1014. Page 1014. Now we're looking at a a, a passage this morning, just a just a short passage, three verses, but it's a passage that reminds us that all of God's word is important to us. All of God's word is of benefit uh, to us. You know, a couple of days ago when we were in Asheville and and uh, Garth was in the middle of this this three-hour grill, and, and uh, Garth was in the middle of this this three-hour grilling that he received he was asked this question, uh, he was asked of what benefit is the New Testament to us? Uh, if we have, I'm sorry, uh, is the Old Testament to us, the Old Testament, if we have the New Testament and in it we have uh, this wonderful display of, of Christ our Savior and, and all about Him and, and what our response to, to Him should be, uh, then What need have we of the Old Testament? Now, Garst's response, of course, was right on target. He said, it's one book. He said the Old Testament shows us Christ. It gives us the promises, which then in the New Testament we see the fulfillment for. Uh, He was saying we don't just need the icing on top of the cake, but we need the whole cake, uh, all Uh, And so everything that's needed to be known by us about Christ, to enjoy Him uh, as Lord and Savior, to know ourselves and our need, all of that uh, requires us having both old and new. Now, we can be saved just based upon hearing New Testament truths. It is true. Yet, as we come to know the Lord and walk with Him... uh, Then it is the Old Testament, especially in it together with the new, that helps us to stand on solid ground, that helps us to uh, increase our assurance, experience joy, and have a lifelong pursuit of Christ. Uh, And so this short passage that we're looking at this morning uh, really drives home that truth just as it's continuing to drive home the theme of the prior passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago a couple of weeks ago we looked at first peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 9 a wonderful passage in which paul we're reminded paul speaking to group of churches that are spread out across much of what is turkey today probably hundreds of miles there these churches are spread across uh, these people who were experiencing difficulty. They, they're believers, they're in churches, and yet there's much that threatens to obscure their view of Christ. They're going through hardship and suffering, temptation to become discouraged, to ask the question, where is the Lord in all of this? you ever been tempted to ask that question? And so Peter answers them, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, by exhorting them to faith in Christ and to continue. And and, and he does that by by reminding them of all the things that they have in Christ. They've been born again uh, to a living hope, uh, to an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for them and to a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time when Christ returns. And so he's saying, look back. At what has happened to you. And then look forward at all the riches that you have that that, that are yours in Christ. Uh, and there, therefore live out of the present in light of those glorious truths. Uh, and that's exactly what we need. Day after day, we need to hear these things, be reminded of all that we have, be reminded, yes, of what has happened to us, and then live today. Out of the the glorious truths and the conviction inside that this is mine, uh, I had turned to the passage out of Second Corinthians chapter four that said that these light, momentary afflictions—I I love those words—light, momentary afflictions. You can think of all the the pain and suffering and difficulty that you go in, you go through in this world, and that's what he's referring to. Uh, light, momentary afflictions are preparing for you a weight of glory beyond all comparison. They are light and momentary in comparison with all that we have that's waiting for us. Now, with this morning's passage, Peter wants us to take this, to take God's inerrant, without error, ever-dependable word, and he's encouraging us to uh, use it and to look back at redemptive history. That is, look back from the very beginning and all the way through and see everything that's pointing to Christ and pointing to to what we are able to have today throughout history. We can see uh, everything that has been done and said, and therefore we can have a greater joy, a greater affirmation about this salvation that is ours in Christ. And so he's encouraging us to both out of the old and out of the new uh, to really and truly see Christ, see this salvation which is ours. And so think about that as I read these words. I'm going to begin in verse 10 uh, and notice the first couple of words. In fact, I'm going to back up just a couple of verses to verse 8. Our passage starts in verse 10, but I want to give some context. But notice those words in verse 10, concerning this salvation. That's what it's about. Uh, Back to verse 8. He says, though you, the people that, that he's speaking to, believers, have not seen him, you love him. Speaking about Christ. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, for you are obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And then he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, going back, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, in the prophets, was indicating or pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, to the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you by those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let me say a word of prayer for us as we begin. Father, we... We thank you for this word. We thank you for the meaning of it. We thank you, Lord, that again and again, we, we see as we open up your word that uh, you're saying, this is for you. Uh, this is what I have done for you. This is what's given for you. See it, recognize it. And so that's our prayer this morning as we go through these verses, as we look back into the Old Testament, help us to see and recognize that which has been ordained for us. Help us to also see the importance of, of looking back, of studying, of, of spending time with these things, uh, because it's by that means that we get to know them, what Peter's saying, as ours. Help us, Lord, to see these things. Help us to benefit from this word greatly. Draw us closer to you, we pray. Remove the barriers that might stand in the way and, and keep us uh, from seeing this rightly. and Therefore, having hearts that, uh, that yearn for you and, and seeing all that we have in Christ. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you measure the value of something or an object to a person? How do you measure how valuable something is to someone? Well, one way is by the extent that it addresses the need of that person. Just to give an illustration, uh, to someone that doesn't have any, at least any significant allergies, they've never been affected by, say, a bee sting or uh, by some type of food that never had an allergic reaction. To them, one of those uh, those epipen devices, you know, that you take and you stab into yourself. it's it's worthless in fact it it might even be dangerous uh, for them to use it but if you're someone who does have a severe allergic reaction to things kind of like i know amy's mom uh, anytime she gets lemon juice of any kind she has to be really careful at restaurants but if she gets uh, lemon juice her throat swells up and it'll throw it'll swell up closed and for someone like that, that has an allergic reaction and, and that these things work for, one of those EpiPen devices can be life-saving and invaluable. Uh, another example, let's say somebody goes to, to Lowe's, they get a, get a pretty good-sized rope for $20. I don't know if that's the right amount. Uh, but they give it to you, and you kind of look at them and say, what's this for? Yeah, all this is going to do is take up room at my house. Give it to someone else. It's it's worthless to you. But there are situations that you can be in that you may have been in before when you might pay, I don't know, $10,000 for that exact same rope because you have a great need for it. It serves some saving purpose. You know, the value of something can be measured by your need for it. And that's what Peter really is doing at the outset of of this letter. He, he wants to remind his audience, including us, that in Christ, our deepest need is met, and that, that need, is, need is not just surface level, but it goes as deep as you can imagine, and therefore he wants us to see the great value of our salvation. Uh, the same thing, interestingly, that for others is worthless. Uh, They have no interest in it. Uh, But for us, he wants to draw that out, wants us to see the great value. Now, remember, he is speaking to believers in churches, those, as I said, who are facing challenges and difficulties. uh, And the same is going to be true for us in this world. In this world, there will be tribulation. Yet he's saying, in Christ, recognize all that you have, persevere in the faith, He's saying, it's all worth it. Remember the glories that are yours. Don't let the the circumstances that you're going through obscure your sight of that which is yours in Christ. And so notice in verses 10 to 12, uh, as he continues to try to help them to have the right perspective and us, he says, concerning this salvation... And he's speaking about the salvation that's, as you said before, ready to be revealed in the last time. It's uh, the final salvation. When we're finally together with the Lord, uh, you know, we can, as we go through Scripture, we can, we can see places where it talks about we have been saved or we are being saved. But this is speaking about when we will finally be saved and brought together with the Lord. Uh, The salvation that he says in another place, as we read earlier, that's the outcome of your faith. He says, concerning this salvation, look back to the prophets. Look back to the Old Testament prophets, to what they had to say, to what they did. Uh, And he's saying here that it's of great benefit for us to look back in the Old Testament, uh, to, to see through what we call redemptive history what it has to tell us about Christ and about God's grace in Christ that we are able to experience today. And he really is saying that as we do this more and more, as we spend time studying these things, uh, this will become of great benefit to us and we'll know to a greater degree uh, the, the grace that we have and how glorious it is. It's kind of like Peter, in a way, in these three verses, he's giving an advertisement to us for men's Bible study on Tuesday, or women's Bible study on Thursday, or, or gathering together to study God's Word Sunday school, or, or whatever it might be. And he's saying, come, open up, study, learn from the past, and leave equipped. Now, you might respond by saying, why? Many people do. They, they, they do. They say the New Testament tells me what I need to know about Christ and how I need to respond to Christ and and on and on. What what do I need the Old Testament for, especially the prophets? Uh, Some minor prophets, here are the names of those books. Obadiah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Uh, Could you find those? Uh, It might be something that's somewhat foreign to you. Even the, the major prophets Uh, Because We call them major because they're larger, the books themselves. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Uh, There are many today, including churches, that have that mindset that that's no longer really needed. We can gain some moral principles out of it. Uh, The Psalms and Proverbs, they they can be useful. uh, But otherwise, we we really don't need it. Um, Well... That's foreign to Peter. And we see that not only here, but as as we go through his letter, he demonstrates to us that it is the Old Testament and the New Testament together that create this one book of truth and therefore that show us we need all of redemptive history. It provides us with a gateway into true knowledge of God and into true joy in the Lord and blessedness. So that... We can live our lives in a right way so that we can minister His truth to others. So that, and there are many things behind that, so that. You know, it's a, this may be a bit of a crude illustration, but it's a bit like marriage. Think about it. Uh, the wedding. When two people come together and, and they're married, the wedding is important, critical. Uh, the consummation of that marriage, the beginning, but notice, it is the beginning the real value of marriage should become obvious as you come to know and enjoy that person and live through the ups and the downs of life together and help one another and, and go deeper in your relationship with one another. You know, Peter wants us to recognize this, the value of sal- our salvation and to, to see it not only from what we see in the New Testament, but throughout the entire Bible. And so he turns us to the Old Testament, in particular to the prophets who you'll notice, he said uh, in in verse 10, they they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. They were speaking about that which you have today and that which you have received. And he says you need this in order to see your salvation accurately. Uh, I'm going to give us a couple of reasons here. One of the reasons that he's telling us to see Christ through the lens of the Old Testament prophets, is to increase our appreciation uh, for what we have today, to increase our appreciation. Peter wants us to see all that God has given us, uh, and so he brings us out by drawing a comparison between what the prophets had and did and saw and longed for and what we today possess. Uh, You'll see this in verses 10 and 11. Peter points out that the the Old Testament prophets possessed some understanding, some understanding of of who Christ, the Messiah, uh, would would be uh, and what he would do. They saw these things. They spoke about them in their prophecies, in their oracles. Yet at the same time, the very same prophets were limited. There were aspects of Christ that they couldn't see. There were aspects of Christ that they longed to see, but they couldn't. Look at verse 10. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets, looking back, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, that, that's present, they, looking back again, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time, some uh, some versions say what time or circumstances, the Spirit of Christ in them was Indicating was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. I want to just point out that in these verses, Peter is describing what we sometimes call the process of inspiration. Uh, It's it's how the, the, the authors, the human authors of the Bible, received new revelation. How did it happen? Was it, and here we're focused upon the prophets, was it that they just sort of in their own minds, they, they kind of came together and they talked and they, they said, well, this is what we need to say. Uh, was it something that came from them? No. Uh, and that's, that's clear, but here uh, Peter points that out. He says, it was the Spirit of Christ in them who was speaking through the prophets. Now, Peter is just talking here about the Holy Spirit, okay, It's the Holy Spirit. We see it other places in Scripture. Uh, In fact, Romans chapter 8 speaks about the Spirit of Christ. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, But here he's making the point by saying it this way, that it was Christ himself, through the Holy Spirit, who was bearing witness about himself to the people. Isn't that amazing that hundreds of years before Christ was born in Bethlehem to Mary, Uh, he was bearing witness about himself through the Holy Spirit to the prophets, that they would accurately be able to see certain things and speak of them. And what he bore witness about, and it doesn't say everything here, but it says that he, this is in uh, end of verse 11, that he predicted or foretold the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, the glories that would follow. Now, this is something that the prophets did know. (laughs) know, We we read it out of Isaiah 52 and and 53 earlier. Remember, really, in a sense, a very detailed account of the sufferings of Christ and of the glories that would follow. Let me just read a couple of verses there. Uh, Notice, sufferings and glories together. But... uh, He was pierced, that's suffering, for our transgressions. That's glorious for us. He was crushed, suffering, for our iniquities, glorious. Upon Him was the punishment or the chastisement, that's suffering that brought us peace. That's glorious. And with His wounds, suffering, we are healed. Glorious, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on on the Christ, on the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Notice, uh, the prophets clearly, they knew that the Messiah would be coming. They knew that he would bring peace. They knew that he would bring forgiveness of sin. They knew that he would bring salvation for God's people. They were able, in all of these things, to see the glory of God in it all. They knew this, but they didn't know when he would come. Critical item, isn't it? Isn't that the first question we always ask when something's going to happen, somebody tells us about it, we get excited? When? I want to know. Why do we want to know? Because I want to go, I want to experience this myself. I want to go through it. Ah. They didn't know that. They didn't know the extent of His grace and His mercy. They didn't know how effective it would be. Peter says here, uh, back in our passage, he says that they, they searched and they inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time or circumstances the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating, what He was pointing to. When he predicted these things, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that, was follow, that would follow, think about these men, the, the prophets. They knew the Lord. They loved the Lord. Yet at the same time, they experienced this great unmet longing inside. You know, sometime, uh, maybe you've done this before, just, just read through the book of Jeremiah. Uh, It can be a challenging read. I think there are 55 chapters, a little bit long, but you could still, if you had a long afternoon, I think you could make it all the way through. Uh, But as you read through Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet by some, you'll notice how desperately Jeremiah longed for, not just, not for himself, but for God's people, To know the Lord and to walk in His... Even with all the wonderful words that He shared, which came directly from the Holy Spirit, almost no one was saved during the time that He was a prophet. These prophets earnestly desired in their own day to see the Son of Man, uh, to see the Messiah, to, to experience Him, to know Him. But it wasn't to be. They were left with this unmet desire. They would die without ever seeing it. And that's Peter's point here. Look at verse 12, just at the beginning of it. He says, It was revealed to them, to the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you. Peter was talking to his audience, which includes us. Uh, All these things that they longed to see, they didn't get to, but you do. Not just part of it, but all when we consider Christ's coming, His first coming. Think about all the things that the prophets spoke about. You can think back and various prophets. You you hear again and again glorious uh, words about light out of darkness, about grace and about comfort. All of those things that would come upon the people of God, upon the church, and the, the, the prophets uh, longed for that time. They longed to see these things. And just, I'm going to just touch on a couple out of Isaiah 40. These words may be familiar to you. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Then out of Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined and it goes on. You know the the, the words, for to us a child is born to us, a son is given, and further down, uh, they will experience from this one, they will experience justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, And then out of Zechariah chapter 3 speaks about Move the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. It's a picture of perfect peace uh, and, and, and where everything is set right. Shalom. Uh, all of this and so much more. Have you ever thought about how the prophets were longing in their day to see these things? Yet all of their diligence, all of their suffering, hard work, uh, the prophets endured was for us. Uh, Calvin says it this way, he says, They, the Old Testament prophets, spread the table that others, we, might afterwards feed upon the provisions that were laid upon it. They knew Christ well in certain respects. They prophesied about Him. They longed to see the things that they spoke about. Yet we, by the very same Holy Spirit who spoke to them, are able to know this Christ. Uh, They were far away when they saw Him. We are near. Salvation itself is far more accessible uh, than in their day. And the church itself is vastly more expanded than in that day. It's kind of like the difference, uh, again, maybe a, a crude illustration, but the difference for a, a child that has heard about Disney World and has taken a magazine and is cutting out little pictures and kind of storing them away. And maybe he has seen a, a little jerky video of of the rides uh, and has watched and, and dreamed about it, the difference between that and a child who is there and who's experiencing it, hugging the, the, the characters, uh, going on the rides, uh, smelling and eating the food, and on and on. Uh, it's, it's completely different. Uh, you know, it's partly by looking back that we're able to appreciate what we have today, They could see at a distance, but we close up. I'm I'm going to read just a couple of words. We'll go on to the next uh, point here. But uh, this is a little further down in chapter 1 as Peter is writing. uh, For those who are in Sunday school, we read this earlier uh, this morning. Knowing that you, Peter says, you were ransomed, were purchased, were bought, "...from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, as, as valuable as they are, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or, or defect. He was known before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest, was given to you in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God." raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God and saying, what, what a comfort it is that we are able today to know Christ not just as the one who, who will one day uh, come but as the one who has come who has rescued us from sin and from Satan and from the world and who will come again to take us into glory uh, there's wonderful benefit in looking back. It can give us greater appreciation, but it can also give us greater certainty. Now, the revelation of Christ that we see in the Old Testament and through the prophets uh, can, can help to ground us more. Uh, assurance is something that, that, that changes the way that we live our lives, and this can give us greater assurance. That's part of Peter's point here, that salvation, this salvation is solid And we can know it because it comes from from times of old. Uh, You know, all the way through in these three verses and and continues as Peter goes through his letter. Peter is connecting what we have today with what has been known about, what's been spoken about, what's been longed for uh, throughout redemptive history. He's making this connection there. He's saying there's a long history there. And yet, throughout that whole long history, it all Coheres together, it all fits together to describe the one salvation that is ours today. And if you think about it, that's significant. Because when we think about the, the, the grace that we have in Christ, what it's saying is that we're not coming to something that's new. We're not coming to something that is, that's fresh and, and innovative and, and creative and hot off the presses. I, I know that's often what people within the church even today seek. But that's not what we're coming to. In other words, we're not coming to something that's untested, that's untried, that's unknown. No, it's quite the opposite. You know, in, in verse 12, Peter speaks about here, about the gospel as it's preached today to the New Testament believer. And that's what he's referring to here when he says, and this is partway through verse 12, he's already said it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and this part, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, things sent from heaven. Things into which, by the way, angels even long to look. Uh, so it's not just the prophets, but angels themselves long to look. But he's speaking here about, about what today the good news that is preached to you. He's speaking about the gospel. Uh, the good news that's, that's given for those who are spiritually dead, who, who are living out of their ungodliness and and their worldly passions in this world, living for themselves, uh, that which is given for them. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent His own Son into the world to address that great need. He, He gave His Son for us. He died for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His very own possession so that by believing in Him, we might have eternal life, salvation in His name. That's what Peter is speaking about here when he he uses those words, the good news. But notice where he roots this good news. It's not in something that Peter himself has maybe even seen and experienced, which he did. But he's not just saying, I saw and I experienced this, and therefore let me tell you about it. Uh, He he doesn't root it in something that God did in in dropping a, a plate of gold out from heaven that has inscribed upon it the words of the gospel. You know, he doesn't even root it in just the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he came, what he proclaimed and what he said 2,000 years ago. You know, that would seem solid enough for us, wouldn't it? 2,000 years? But no, what is preached today as the gospel has been testified about throughout redemptive history by, he says, the Old Testament prophets, by those who prophesied about the grace that was was to be yours. And the point is that, that this is not something that's new. This has been there throughout And it's consistent. It all holds together. There's one message there. Because as Peter points out here, notice in the second half of verse 12, he says, those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, that's who works in us to hear and to receive and to understand this message. Guess what? Peter's saying that's the same Holy Spirit who revealed to the prophets before Christ, hundreds of years before Christ ever came revealed who he would be what he would do it's the same holy spirit and so of course it's the same message through and through you know even in this day in which we love novelties we love i can speak for myself the latest technology you now the, the 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 latest operating system the newest watch the latest computer all of those things and yet we still trust, don't we? Those things that have withstood the test of time. You know, I use, again, a minor example, but I, I still use, after I think it's been 35 years, we use the same insurance company. Because when we've been in need at certain times, they've come through and we felt that we could trust them. And so there's a level of trust. And so even if they raise their rates a little bit, we try to, okay, continue with them. It's, there's trust there. Uh, We turn regularly to a confession of faith that's almost 400 years old, and we even put up with some of the older language that's used there because we know we can trust it. It, it, It's been tested, it's been tried, it's it's been through all the years and has shown to be an accurate representation of God's Word. We have a salvation that is not only thousands of years old, but it was foretold by the prophets of old. Not just by one, but throughout the pages of the Old Testament. Um, Just to bring this home, turn with me, if you would, to Luke's Gospel. The third uh, Gospel. Look at Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read... Or you, beginning in verse 26. I'll just remind you: this is the account of Jesus after he, he he's on the road to Emmaus. Here, that may ring a bell. Uh, it took place after Jesus died, and then he rose from the dead, and then he he came alongside these two disciples who are walking along the dusty road from Jerusalem to uh, the town of Emmaus. Uh, they they knew Jesus. They had been disciples of his, of the wider disciples. Uh, but they didn't recognize him. And so they spoke together with this man who came alongside them about the events that had just taken place. Jesus' death upon the cross at the hand of wicked men. his being placed in the tomb. And these men said that, and now it's been reported to them, that uh, the tomb was found empty and that he had appeared to to others there. And look at uh, chapter 24, verse 26. He then says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He's speaking to them about what they've been speaking about, but are you surprised at these things? And then he said, and be, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, that's talking about the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. Notice where it begins, with Moses, who was a prophet himself, and all the prophets. He he, he drew this out. Uh, He's speaking, this speaks about exactly what Peter has been telling us. And Jesus was telling them these things to say, you know, this is nothing new. This didn't just happen. This This is not just something that you need to process now. Uh, is something that's just come to you and you've got to figure out is this really true or not. No, this is a fulfillment of all that has come before it. And to them, that would have represented a solid rock to stand upon. And for us, it should represent the same thing as we look at this salvation which is ours. Uh, which is in the Lord Jesus Christ, which has been attested to throughout all of redemptive history and has continued throughout the history of the church, Uh, we have a solid rock to stand upon, one that can convict us more and more inside. And yet another reason that we should, as you think about it, as the the prophets did, remember it said that they... uh, They they inquired carefully. They searched about Christ because they were interested in Christ. They knew this was important. Should we not do the same and take the Word and search diligently and seek to see and to understand uh, and therefore to come to a greater uh, conviction inside about who Christ is, about the salvation that we have, about the rock that we are able to stand upon and therefore allow us to live today out of a greater comfort. You think about it, there's nothing like it. One word, one word all the way through, throughout all of the centuries, pointing to one gospel, containing in it nothing but that which long ago was attested to by the Holy Spirit and then grew in its in in the detail and, and our ability to understand it all the way through, still from the same Holy Spirit, and all of it ours today. just as it was intended for those in the churches uh, that Peter was speaking to, so it should be for us today. And it should be, therefore a rock upon which we stand. Let me just finish with this. This is right at the end of First Peter. Uh, you, you may recognize this often, and I think this is a good thing. Uh, this will be read uh, just before or maybe at the end of a, a sermon to say this is the word that lasts forever. Uh, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring or abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all glory is like the flower, flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that we've been given. And therefore, we can know that our salvation is true and it's a rock upon which we can stand. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for these uh, these things. We thank you for these glorious things. Help us to take stock of them. Lord, help us do that work inside of us to see these things as true. And therefore, Lord, we pray that just like those uh, who Peter was writing to who were going through difficult times, they suffered from doubt at times, uh, there was much there to obscure their eyesight. Yet this was to be a word to them to encourage, to strengthen to open their eyes, to cause them to uh, draw closer to you, to serve you uh, with a greater joy inside, a greater attentiveness. Help us to be those as well uh, as a result of that food that you're feeding us. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is true. We pray this in Jesus' name.